0: Welcome to Innovation Files. I'm Rob Atkinson, founder and president of the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation.
1: And I'm Jackie Wissman, a head development at ITIF, which I'm proud to say is the world's top-ranked think tank for science and technology policy.
0: This podcast is about the kinds of issues we cover at ITIF from the broad economics of innovation to specific policy and regulatory questions about new technologies. If you're into this stuff, please be sure to subscribe and to rate us Today, we're going to talk about how the EU, or the European Union, regulates the tech industry, uh, particularly emerging technologies like artificial intelligence or AI.
1: Our guest is Patrick Grady, who's a policy analyst at ITIF's Center for Data Innovation. He focuses on AI and content moderation, and he's based in Brussels, so he has a great perch to watch all these issues unfold. Thanks for being here, Patrick.
2: Yeah, thank you both for having me.
1: Generally speaking, how does the EU approach regulating technologies like AI, and how does it differ from what we see here in the US?
2: Well, first, quite broadly, right? So in the US, I think you would pick out certain capabilities of technology, and whereas in the EU, we really target the technology itself. So it's on the one hand, critics would argue this is quite a precautionary approach, but on the other hand, it's why the EU has this reputation for being the first mover on regulation. I mean, if I I take the AI Act uh, as an example, which is obviously what we're going to talk about. So the EU focused on the technology itself, artificial intelligence. This is the name of the bill. And this is really going to please a lot of people that there's a bill called this. Uh, Whereas in the US, you're focusing on what does the technology actually do? So in a similar uh, proposal, you're focusing on the automated decision-making. The different approach in the EU is that we really focus on the technology itself, so AI. Why
1: don't we talk specifically about the proposed law in Europe that you mentioned, the AI Act. What's the state of play as you see it?
2: Well, in terms of a timeline quickly, so the proposal was in 2021. And here we are two years later. It looks like it's finally being wrapped up eventually. So uh, this bill should pass by the end of the year and it might be enforced by 2025. There are still some big battlegrounds in the bill. I would say the two biggest ones are how do you regulate general purpose artificial intelligence? So things like uh, GPT-4. And the other big battleground is around facial recognition. So the bill actually bans the public, uh, the use of by public authorities of facial recognition. But now there are sort of uh, arguments over whether there should be exemptions for, for law enforcement, which was originally the case. Uh, As you might imagine, Member com- uh, countries, so uh, the council is, is the name of the, the institution of the member countries, they want to keep this exemption, right? It's, it's, an, it's, it's how national authorities see the, the uh, way of securing themselves against crime. But the parliament, the members of parliament, they really they see this as a kind of loophole. So uh, facial recognition is still a huge battleground. So,
0: oh, Patrick, on, on facial recognition or, or FR, you know, it's it, there are two main critiques of it in the U.S. One is that it'll be used in 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 a sort of in a way that would violate civil liberties uh, among the population, and the second is that it inherently has bias. There's been a claim that it's biased against dark-skinned people. In the latter case, it's pretty clear that there are FR technologies on the market that have zero bias. Mm. The National Institute of Standards and Technology showed that they do uh, about a year and a half ago, or so two years ago, they let all these companies commit and s- submit their their algorithms and their systems uh, for testing on this, and they found that you know the top twenty out of say eighty or ninety had zero bias.
2: Yeah, and that's it, it's a bit of a misconception, really. I think because there there was a lot of uh, scandals, I think, in the last five, even even going on on ten years, with how some of these systems uh, reproduce. Uh, bias but what's happened since is actually a a lot of work in this field to re-engineer the systems or even there's algorithms that can now detect bias based on certain characteristics and make sure that doesn't influence the output so with something like facial recognition i think it's more important to focus on the institutions themselves and the kind of processes that police forces for instance are going through rather than the technology itself
0: yeah sure and then that's i guess my my ultimate question here is then when you when you look at the application and the, and the worry about civil liberties, I'd be worried about that if, if I were in China. I'm not worried about that in the EU or the US. We have laws. Uh, you can design a bill around facial recognition that has certain parameters around it. For example, you can't use it to identify people who are not suspects. So in other words, I can't walk down the street in Brussels and it says, hey, Rob Atkinson's walking down the street. Nobody wants that. Nobody should have that. But you certainly want to be able to say, hey, there's an abducted child, and we have their image, so we're going to have all the cameras looking for that person. I want that. I would love to have that. Or, hey, there's a, somebody who just robbed a bank. Let's see if we can identify that person. Why do you think the European Union, the Commission, and the Parliament have not understood that? Or do they understand it and just don't care, and they just don't like technology? I mean, <laughs> what's going on? This is a beneficial technology. I don't understand.
2: Well, look, I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, these policymakers, because they really do want to, you know, ensure that, of course, is innovation, but we're also protecting the the civil rights of of individuals. With some of these applications, like facial recognition, and uh, another one, I would say, is social scoring. Really, what's happened here is, you know, as a result of sci-fi or or, or some examples from more authoritarian countries. We, we sort of assume the worst about our own member states. And we assume that, you know, if, if something can happen in, for example, China, then it, it could happen here in the, in the EU. The challenge is the EU does have a broad spectrum of countries uh, with different um, uh, levels of democratic policymaking at the moment. So I think at the moment, there, there is a bit of diversity and you want to create a minimum standard. But I, I hear your point. You know, we're not, we're not the Chinas of the world, and this is not how it's currently being used. It would make more sense to me to regulate the, the current risks than any sort of imaginary risks.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, if, if we're worried about the uh, abuse of technology, then we should ban uh, steel bars because you can put people in jail. My God, we have the ability, Hungary or whatever is going to put everybody in jail. You go to Hungary for visit, they'll put you in jail. Let's ban steel. Or, uh, or they're going to shoot you because uh, they have steel guns with, with bullets. So let's ban bullets for the police. I mean, really, at the end of the day, it, it, it really, frankly, to me, is a nonsensical notion. It's it's saying that somehow the technology is bad. There's lots of technologies that are out there uh, that governments could use if they wanted to, to have significantly abuse our civil liberties, but they don't. And they don't because we have a wide array of protections you know, the the free press, uh, the courts, legislators who can pass laws, just the fact that most governments uh, and police forces are trying to do the right thing. So I still don't get it. Uh, I I really feel like this is a case where the Europeans are, you know, precautionary principle run amok and, um, you know, they're going to suffer from it. They're going to suffer from it in terms of not developing a facial recognition industry. And they're going to suffer from it because there's going to be a lot more crime that doesn't get solved.
2: Yeah, no, I completely uh, hear your comment, and we probably also underestimate how much of, of crime is already being being tackled through these technologies, and that that's why it's so concerning to the the member states right now. What's what's being proposed because uh, it might be a disaster for them to uh, take away what is already providing so much uh, utility for these law enforcement.
0: Switching over to to AI, one of the big differences, although facial recognition is is based usually on some AI algorithm. One of the big differences that you alluded to is they're trying to regulate the technology. In the U.S., we're regulating the application. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the Food and Drug Administration just came out with a set of rules that if you're going to use a, an AI algorithm in a medical device, it has to be regulated. Of course it does. Of course it does, because medical device have to be regulated. If you're going to use an AI algorithm in uh, credit reporting, uh, it has to be regulated because of the Fair Credit Reporting Act. You're going to use it in cars, it has to be regulated because we regulate brakes and steering wheels and everything else in cars. But we don't regulate search engines. Uh why would why in God's name would we would we regulate Chat GPT in Bing or Chat GPT in Google? This is beyond belief. Beyond belief that the EU would want to. First of all, how do you do it? What are you looking for? Well, you know, Oh my God, it gave me, it gave me a bad result. Let's sue Google. I got a bad result. So am I exaggerating or what's going on there? No, well, (laughs) that is a little bit of what's going
2: on, but it's a horizontal regulation, right? So it has to cover the use of AI in principle everywhere. But as you suggest, there are different use cases that are sort of more dangerous or risky than other ones. So one of the ways the EU tried to to navigate this is they proposed so-called high-risk use cases. And this is really the meat of the entire argument behind the bill because these are where the high restrictions are in place and this is where there's a lot of debate because there are two sort of problems with this approach and so they picked out eight categories so there's if you use ai for public services for uh, biometric identification for employment for education for migration and asylum services you are subject to these really high requirements but the problem is and this is something we've all learned over the last 2 years is just how prevalent ai is so we're finding that many of these use cases are much broader than we originally thought they were going to be. And there's also a lot of different risk profiles within these categories. So, I mean, for example, the kind of risks of a government using AI to, to give welfare or social security to its citizens, it's is plainly different than if it was used in an educated environment. And these are treated as exactly the same.
0: So I hear another one. I don't know. I don't understand why, why the government would want to regulate itself. So why does why does the the city of Paris or or the French government need the EU to tell it to develop algorithms that are not biased against French citizens uh, like what are they they would I never would have thought of that that thank you Brussels uh, it's like a brand new idea not to have a bad algorithm I just don't get that one
2: Well yeah to be clear it's it's a supranational uh, body and so it's really a combination of proposing the the initiative and to your point, yes, the member states probably don't want many of these requirements. But it's it's almost a kind of insurance, right? They want to create a minimum minimum standard that will apply even after other governments may, may be in power. But, you know, so the, the government is the only one capable of regulating themselves. So they have to do it to that extent.
0: I don't agree with that. I mean, first of all, if, if the French government wants to discriminate against Muslims, let's just say, hey, we don't like Muslims. We're going to discriminate against them. You know, or, or if they just, they, or if they're just dumb and they do, want to want to do bad things to discriminate against a certain class or demographic, you know, they can do that. Uh, and why would first of all, I, I, why would they do that? But secondly, why does Brussels need to be telling them? not to do that that to me is a pretty i I just think it's one of those things like why would you bother with that let let this technology flourish let these let these governments do what they need to do they're not going to i can see with private companies maybe you know but i don't governments are governments why did why does the eu think it's the one that has the moral standing here if it's not for the eu boy those germans or those french are going to do awful things
2: one of the reasons is because there has been some very public scandals with the use of AI, and the lesson doesn't need, need to necessarily be that you know it should be regulated everywhere. But it's just a it motivates a desire to, to harmonise rules essentially, which is you know, the principle of the EU.
0: Yeah, again, though, I don't really get that. I mean, when when you talk about the the scandals, one of them is the Dutch example, mm-hmm. and, and what drives me crazy about these AI harms. You would be surprised with any technology like this if it's rolled out in you know a million different applications where there aren't some cases where it didn't go right. What you really should be worried about is the institutions or the organizations that roll it out said, oh, yeah, it didn't go right. We don't care. Let's just keep going, man. Mm. The Dutch government stopped and they learned and developers learn. and And the idea that somehow you have to be micromanaging governments. Uh, I just don't get that. Uh, they're not stupid. Yeah, I mean, just to a point
2: about governments learning, there was actually another Dutch case quite recently, but, but I still think the lessons weren't quite quite right. When policymakers speak about AI, they're often just talking about machine learning, really, and so when we heard about many of these scandals, um, there's also a really famous one in Australia, we're assuming a really sort of, we're assuming like a chat GPT, a kind of a, a, a rogue really um, powerful model, with many of these scandals, it's just like a simple spreadsheet. And all of the decisions about how much inputs should weigh and how should they how should they affect, for example, in that case, uh, the benefits people got, were made by human beings. And one of the risks here is that we end up putting a, a red tape on a technology, and there's never actually any accountability for those that are, have complete control
0: over the rules. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: How have policymakers in the EU reacted to the latest buzz about Chat GPT and other large language models?
2: Well, well listen, uh, Jackie. I should say, as a policymaker's role in the EU, it's to it's try. Your, your number one job is to stay uh, relevant and be seen to be making a big difference. So when there's this a lot of hype, um, especially in the media around Chat GPT, you know, you have technologists claiming this is AGI. There's we're on the brink of a, a dis- disinformation apocalypse just in the last week there was a, a letter circulating to try and stop the development of AI full stop so in this context we suddenly see a actually a chat gpt amendment pop up in the ai act um it was called a text text generator but it's quite clear where the motivation came from and really this is uh, disappointing because it betrays the entire approach of the bill the risk based approach it also betrays all of the work done so far on general purpose models it's the, the amendment would just put chat GPT in its own category. It's actually it was even labeled in in the in the draft other. It was labeled as other category, which is a sort of worrying sign of how ad hoc it was. But if this amendment went through, it would be treated as a high risk category regardless of how it was used. So if you're if you're using Chat GPT to write a birthday card, it's treated as equally risky if you're using it to reply to an, an asylum application, for example. Now there was a lot of backlash to this amendment, and it might—it probably won't now survive. We'll see some some version of it, maybe in a footnote in the bill. But it's a kind of indication that there was this regulating by outrage, as
0: I said, which is which is a bit concerning. Yeah, I want to just follow up on that because it, it again it goes back to the use. I mean, I, I gave a talk up in up in Canada, uh, up in Ottawa recently to the Internet Society, and I. Opened up my talk with imagine a technology where that it could be biased where you wouldn't get a loan or where a your drug test would be faulty or where a company might make a bad investment. We need to regulate that, right? Well, I'm talking about spreadsheets mm. and we don't regulate spreadsheets, uh, because if you want to make mistakes on spreadsheets, that's it's your fault. If you buy a bad spread from a bad spreadsheet company, that's, that's your fault. What I don't understand about ch- how would you regulate like, oh, OK, I'm, I'm using chat. I, my son's getting married, and and, and so I'm using chat GPT to write the wedding speech I'm giving. So I'm lazy and I want high productivity, so I don't want to waste time writing a speech. Actually, I'm doing it for fun, but I, I, I use chat GPT to afford uh, to write a speech. It's an incredible speech. It's really beautiful. You'd cry if you heard it. It's amazing. <laughs> but... <laughs> that. But then I want to use chat GPT to decide whether I'm going to give Jackie a raise. Uh, and it tells me, no, I shouldn't because uh, Jackie has blonde hair. Like, uh, w- how could you possibly regulate that differently? Hiders don't get it.
2: Well, uh, it would be the responsibility of the de- developer, which, as you say, would be impossible. I think... OpenAI, I've actually been quite clear about. You know, don't don't trust it with with this, with decisions like with giving Jackie a raise. Yeah. If you want to use it to write to write an invitation or a speech, then go ahead. But just always know that it's, it, it's, there are some cases where it's not appropriate to use it.
1: How often have you written reports for the Center for Data Innovation with Chat GPT?
0: Well, that's obviously. Come on, be, be honest. Be honest. <laughs> Daniel won't listen. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, no, I, what I find interesting about it is is using it for ideation. So you you almost have a conversation to try and weed out a topic. Obviously, there's a, there's a, what's also interesting is if you say write it in the style of ITIF, you will actually have something that kind of replicates our style in some way. But obviously, there's a, there's a wicked talent that you can't replace.
0: Well. As head of ITIF, I, that's one of the things that we're working on to see if we can uh, outsource uh, to ChatGPT most of our analysts. So we'll let you know if that happens. Uh, <laughs> in the meantime, I wouldn't wouldn't worry too much. Now, I think maybe by five, ChatGPT five, I'd start to worry.
2: <laughs> the other way we're using actually, we're finding a fun way to use it is, you know, the the image generators. I think the analysts are having a quiet, unspoken competition to try and find the best uh, cover photo for our articles. Um, but yeah, Dali has been fantastic help in that regard.
0: Yeah, or or uh, PowerPoint or or whatever. Um, yeah, I hope the EU regulates Dali because imagine doing an image generator like well, I, I did one on, on me, Rob Atkinson and technology, and it, it had this weird image of me that I felt quite offended by. And I think I should be able to sue somebody. Uh, it's like really pissed me off. Well, you're lucky it knows who you are. I think that's a privilege. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, in the, in the couple of minutes we have left, I wanted to get your thoughts on what this policy making process can teach us about regulating emerging tech. I know Rob's thoughts, but we want yours.
2: Yeah, I think it's to, to be neutral to the technology itself. If you want regulation to survive, it has to not uh, be confused, as we found at the AI Act, with sort of latest innovations that pop up. Non-discrimination laws are a fantastic example of tech-neutral regulation. And so that's one point. The second point, which has come up a few times, is you really want to tackle the sectors where it's used and not necessarily the technology itself. So yeah, I encourage uh, regulators who haven't yet sort of got this far in the process to consider these learnings from the EU.
0: We will watch with interest as to what the EU does, and hopefully they will listen to you. (laughs) We'll share this with them widely, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Patrick.
1: And that's it for this week. If you liked it, please be sure to rate us and subscribe. Feel free to email show ideas or questions to podcast at itif.org. You can find the show notes and sign up for our weekly email newsletter on our website, itif.org, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at ITIFDC.
0: We have more episodes and great guests lined up. We hope you'll continue to tune in.